passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleOmics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday. March the 20th, 2022, and today on the program, uh, I am joined, as always, uh, back in our, our usual recording situation, not in person, but remote. I apologize for uh, the less than spectacular transmission quality of last week. This week, back to normal, the stock board scrolling behind us, our faces well lit, I am uh, joined, as always, uh, by our co-host, Chris Gull, who's, uh, who's maybe... I have a new various. chair, a new yeah, chair over here, yes. as well as a new desk, so we're uh, advancing it over here, and of course, the new mic made its debut last week, so... Yes, you are you are encouraged by Russellomics Management to finally build your office chair, and uh, you, you, you took the, well, you don't know if you took the initiative, but, but you, you were motivated. You were properly motivated. And the, the office chair is here. It looks good. It's not one of those massive gaming chairs. It, it, it uh, matches your shirt even, I would say. Oh, a little bit, yeah. Black and uh, red. So mm-hmm. I got red and blue going on. But... Oh, is that blue? Okay. Yes. I've got blue and blue. Um, this is not the slide that we want to deal with first off. We will get to that later. But... Um, what are we going to talk about today on the program? So on today's show, uh, jam-packed for you, we're going to break down the dismissal request from WWE for the lawsuit that MLW filed against them. We're going to talk uh, demographics in wrestling ratings uh, when it comes uh, breaking down to race and ethnicities. We're going to discuss uh, an NFT cartoon series. Uh, which is you know, which is very interesting. Uh, we're also going to discuss the new WWE Performance Center class and uh, more wrestling experience than you think. Uh, all that uh, and much more 
here on this edition of Russellomics Radio. Mm-hmm. So Kanel Gates uh, wrote a really inspirational uh, meme this week. I think that's where we're going to start, correct? That, yeah, that is where we are going to start. And uh, it, 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 here is the, the inspirational meme. Uh, MLW is complaining about the shadows cast by the boughs of a lone tree while it stands in an otherwise open and extending field. It's very poetic. Very uh, metaphorical. Inspirational, even, I would say. Yeah, and, so. and as I told you off air, it's it's kind of fair, in my opinion. How so? In the aspect of, well, and WWE is not the only wrestling competitor, and it's an expanding market. You've seen multiple promotions on television right now. We have, of course, WWE has three programs on television. Uh, AEW has two programs on television. Uh, Impact has a program on television. New Japan Pro Wrestling has programs on television. Ring of Honor did have a program on television. We don't know what the future lies for that. So there is wrestling on television mm-hmm. and many of uh, capabilities. And I mean, I'm not saying that what MLW is saying that we did was true or untrue, but to make the statement of the, hey, we're not blocking you from expanding your business because it's an expanding, you know, form of business. So throw the case out, uh, the honorable Chris Gullo says. I'm not saying throw the case out. What I'm saying is, is that it was, I told you kind of fair. So, cause I could, cause you know what, what MLW is alleging could be true, could be false, but the point to make that, that because even if WWE blocked them from one network, that's that not going to like stop them from other opportunities. If they blocked them with the intent to block them, they probably did something illegal. I, I don't know. We're, we're not legal experts. We're going to go through this in the, yeah. in the, uh, the best, uh, Summary that I can, I, I did run run the uh, the new response from WWE past a couple of lawyers, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll interject to the extent to which I've been been informed as we go here. They do have um, a hearing date scheduled for September 29th, twenty twenty two, in courtroom four or via video conference. Um, so who knows if uh, that will happen on that date. I think I think these things tend to get pushed back. Um to be clear, this is this is the first new lawsuit that I've c- kind of covered here right from the beginning. Um you know, we've talked about lawsuits for a long long time on Russellomics radio, but we haven't really had a new fresh one for me to to start to get a, get more of a handle on how these things work until this one. So, uh, I've got a lot of also, lot of well, I was going to say also, too, I think MLW is very public about it, too, um, which you don't really kind of see that some of these lawsuits are like they try to get private as possible. Like we didn't know much about the w- a lot of the WCW, WWE, WWF lawsuits back in the 90s until after they happened, after the fact. So MLW is very public. They're letting you know that they're suing WWE. <laughs> yes, they put out a press release uh, when this 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 lawsuit came out in January. Just keep get people up to speed. This lawsuit came came out in January. This is MLW suing WB because they allege that WB interfered with a two B deal streaming service two B, which is owned by Fox. They allege that Stephanie McMahon swooped in at the eleventh hour the night before, the day before it was to be announced by MLW and two B that they were going to have the MLW content on two B. Allegedly, Stephanie McMahon did something to pressure two B to terminate the deal which they did uh they did terminate it at least um 
MLW alleges W interfered with with MLW's relationship with Vice. MLW alleges that maybe W inter well MLW alleges that W interfered with its relationship with Fight as well. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. So now this this past week, W responded as expected with a motion to dismiss the case, uh, arguing that it's 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 a uh, what do they always say without merit. Uh, arguing that, among other things, uh, MLW's arguments are irrational. We'll get to it. I've got a lot of blue slides here for you to read today, Gallo. Um, yes, I'm, might, I'm ready for it. I might just stop you at any moment and interrupt you and start saying stuff. So, I got coffee. I got water. We're good to go. Um, one other thing, too, about the lawsuit is they remember they alleged some type of contract tampering, too, that WWE yeah. was talking to MLW, at least one MLW superstar while they were still under contract. That is mentioned um, in in uh, WWE's response. Uh, I, I didn't pull any of those excerpts out. Um, this is like a thirty five page motion to dismiss memorandum, so the, you know I don't want to bore people with reading uh, an entire document. But uh, you can uh, the link to it is uh, is in the article that I put up on Patreon. If you do want to read the uh, the complaint yourself, um, and if if we get that up on uh, Court Listener, I will. I would share that link out to uh, probably on Twitter. I was having some issues with my recap extension. Now no one knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, go ahead. We'll get right into it. Here are the highlights. Uh, MLW has given up competing in the ring and has chosen instead to compete in the courtroom. MLW has brought claims for monopolization, (laughs) intentional interface with contractual relations, intentional interface with prospective economic advantage and unfair competition against WWE interference in a vain hope to uh, to shift blame for its failures away from itself. But MLW's failings are its own. Its claims are meritless and should be dismissed as a matter of law. Mm -hmm. Interference. Sorry. I wanted to say interface for some reason. That seems very WWE to me be interference. Yes. Distraction Um, finishes and so forth. Um, so that's uh that's sort of their opening statement. Uh yes, a, a lot of um a lot of uh colorful lines in this uh motion to dismiss. Um notable that WWE did not move to change venue as we speculated they might. Um I talked to, to you know I showed this to one lawyer who uh just sort of pondered it. It, it, it. I don't know if there's some strategic reason why they're not moving to change location, but they are uh, talking about how uh, there's a state law, uh, California state law that's somehow associated with this complaint. Sorry, I don't know all the, the, the super fine details here, but WB does. Uh, and when I say WB, I mean the KNL Gates lawyers, including Jerry McDivitt, who are representing WB. WB does write in here how, it's preserving something about venue because, hey, look, it points out, W points out that there were no, no one was harmed in California. Uh, these companies are both incorporated in Delaware. MLW is headquartered in New York. W is headquartered in Connecticut. So it sounds like that's not off the table moving to change venue. MLW would want to keep this in California because the legal system probably favors their situation more so if this is kept in California. Uh, and W would, would have a, have an easier time most likely if they were able to move this to a, to a different state such as Connecticut, um, which, which seems like the most likely destination to me 
for this. So anyway, W has a, a number of points about why this case should be dismissed. Go ahead and you can read those now. Go First, MLW fails to plausibly allege that WWE violated Section 2 of the Sherman Act. MLW provides no facts to support its naked assertion that there is a relevant product market for the sale of broadcasting rights for professional wrestling programs to national networks, cable, and streaming services. Even if such a market somehow existed, MLW fails to plausibly allege that WWE possesses monopoly power within it. To the contrary, uh, the complaint is bare... Bereft of any facts bereft. suggesting that do bereft, sorry, yeah, never say that we're bereft of any facts suggesting a WWE could possibly hold any power over the dozens, if not hundreds, of networks, cable, and streaming services in which WWE has no commercial relationships. Indeed, AEW and Impact's successful sales and broadcast rates just show the opposite. Finally, MLW's Sherman Act claims fail for lack of antitrust injury. The antitrust laws protect competition, not competitors. Yet MLW fails to allege any plausible facts demonstrating harm to the competitive process. The failure to plead antitrust injury is an absolute fatal to MLW's complaint and indeed independently warrants dismissal. Yes. So in plain English, any idea what they're saying there? So they're saying they're basically saying kind of what I brought up at the beginning of the show that this is an open market. WB, there's hundreds of networks out there. WB doesn't have a relationship with every network. They're not stopping them from getting a TV deal. Look, AEW and Impact have TV deals. Mm-hmm. AEW and Impact, whew, successful companies. Look out, WB, or at least in this in this document. Whoa, they're they're doing well. Why can't you do well? MLW says the KNL Gates lawyers. Um, they're also saying here that the market that MLW needs to argue exists doesn't exist. What, what, ML, what WWE is getting at here is that there's not a wrestling broadcast rights market that supposedly WWE has monopoly control of. No, there's just a, a broad TV rights market. Um, there, there seems to be some semantic uh, criticism over... The, the terminology that that MLW used to refer to the market that they're trying to refer to, um, but but as we'll we'll, we'll get to, um, W lays out this case of hey look there's all these different types of content out there, um, but part of this is the Sherman Act. There so MLW is alleging that WWE violated Act Two of the Sherman Act, which requires. Uh, the possession of monopoly power in the relevant market. So what does that mean? Monopoly power and market power, as it was clarified to me through this motion to dismiss, monopoly power and market power power are interchangeable terms. Um, so mon- monopoly power would, would be, you know, in our view, easier to argue WE had in 2018 or prior before WE or before AW rose uh from not from nothing from non-existence uh so they would have to dominate i think it's something like 30 percent of the market anyway condition two the willful acquisition or maintenance of that power as distinguished from growth or development as a consequence of superior conduct business acumen or historic accident so what i understand that to me is that we must not just have monopoly power not just um, not just have it, but it actually has to do something 
uh, something aggressive and therefore illegal to maintain its power uh, that controls prices or discourages growth, um, not just being uh, a great product. Um, so real quick before i read the next part yeah. um this is a real quick sidebar but this this argument could have been made probably more in 2001 than 2022 when you think yes definitely yeah buying out wcw and basically buying the rights out of mm -hmm. yes i've lost your audio oh dear it's a plausibly oh, alleged you and you're back oh. you're fine okay all right second mlw fails to plausibly allege intentional interference with contractual relations. MLW asserts that it had a contract to sell Tubi, a streaming service owned by Fox, broadcast rights for its wrestling program, and that WWE forced Tubi to terminate that contract under the threat of pulling all WWE content from Fox. But MLW alleges no facts explaining how WWE's communication or communications over the course of one day achieved this response from Fox. Moreover, the notion that the WWE would jeopardize hundreds of millions of dollars in rights fees and breach its own contract with Fox in order to keep MLW off a streaming service makes no rational sense. Just this Fox capitulation to any such threat is wholly in light in light of its ability to enforce its contract with WWE. Yes, I, so, I should did some practice with these words before we did this today. We're we're we're, lear we're learning new vocabulary here, and and one word which I don't think is in, in any of these excerpts that I pulled out here, but um, but it but it applies to what you just read is that W alleges that or argues I guess that. MLW's arguments are conclusory, meaning that they're just sort of allegations that that don't have any evidence to back them up or reason why they should be accepted as true, according to WWE. Um, and that's, I mean, the, the, the MLW complaint is a lot of allegations. It's basically no, it's no records of of what they allege to have taken place. It, it, there's no records that they present at this point. Uh, to support that what they alleged to have taken place actually took place. Um, we'll see what, what, what they deliver in the future. Um, but here, you know, WWE is, is arguing that it would be irrational for WB to go to Fox and say, hey, if you don't stop working with this competitor, MLW, we're going to pull all of our content. Uh, we're going to pull SmackDown off of Fox, which is in the realm of what MLW is alleging. Um, WWE argues that, hey, look, these companies, these are bigger companies, and uh, and, and look, MLW itself points out that WWE makes, I think they say something like 90% of their revenue. You know, WWE sort of puts this in quotes and doesn't necessarily accept this as a fact, but uh, MLW's own complaint undermines this notion that WWE would have the power, the leverage to pressure a media distributor like Fox to to do something because it's Fox that pays WWE and contributes a, a large amount of WWE's revenue to WWE. So the power really lies with the media distributors, according to WWE. Um, I would say, though, that um, there's some... There would, I, I don't buy the idea that, that W has no leverage and no influence over its its business partners, uh, including Fox or NBC Universal. I, th I think, you know, these are... As, as much as it's sort of a business buzzword to call everybody a business partner, I think it, it is a 
mutually benefit. It definitely is a mutually beneficial relationship, obviously, right? Um, but I, I would agree that the media distributors do have the more of the power. Um, they have they they don't need WWE as much as WWE needs them. Um, but it's not like there aren't other TV homes for WWE content to live. So there's, you know, there is, um, there is some incumbents on a partner like Fox to keep WWE happy. Although there's a, a huge incumbent on WWE to keep Fox happy. And same for NBC Universal or any, or any of the other major business partners, such as the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, but WWE saying, hey, look, no, there's this whole TV ecosystem out here that consists of all these shows that have that appear uh, in, in the Showbiz Daily top performers, including 90 Day Fiance, Survivor, NASCAR. Anyway, I think you're about to mention them. Yep, so the next point here, MLW alleges that the relevant product market is the national market for sale of broadcasting rights for professional wrestling programs to networks, cable, and streaming services. However... MLW provides scant facts supporting that this proposed market. MLW includes no allegations about the structure of the television and streaming industries, no allegations about how or why networks, cable, or streaming service purchase broadcast rights, no allegations about the factor that networks, cable, or streaming services consider when purchasing those rights, no allegations about various potential fee structures used in the industry, no allegations even about the per- of professional wrestling programming and no allegations that foreign regional or local channels or streaming services could not purchase professional wrestling broadcast rights. Importantly, MLW fails to allege that customers here alleged to be national networks, cable and streaming services do not have reasonably interchangeable alternatives to broadcasting rights for scripted professional wrestling programming. Obviously, the vast majority of content aired by national networks, cable and streaming services is not professional wrestling yes it's any number of things uh including let's see yeah so the next point here is mlw cannot explain why other content such as the walking dead survivor 90 day fiance ufc or nascar is not a reasonable interchangeable substitute for scripted professional wrestling to say that no reasonably interchangeable alternatives to professional wrestling broadcast rights exist is akin to saying no reasonably interchangeable alternatives to broadcasting rights for zombie shows exist it is of course absurd and purchases of broadcasting rights for zombie shows would consider other programming as alternatives this would be like if is there is there any other like zombie property out there dawn of the uh there there was one on sci-fi that was Mm. highly touted i think it may have just ended i remember the the dj qualls being in it i know that was (laughs) quite a few years ago it was called but there was that there was i zombie on cw there's been and zombie programming is very popular on streaming services netflix just had a uh, import from Korea. Um, I think it's like we are all dead or we're all going to be dead or something like that. Was, that's become a very popular. So this would be like if some offshoot of The Walking Dead came to, to, to the court and said, it's The Walking Dead keeping us out of these markets, according to WWE. Um, we'll see. Um, and then point number three. Third, MLW fails to plausibly allege intentional interference with prospective economic advantage. 
MLW asserts that it had a contract with Vice to air archival content and was negotiating to sell broadcast rights for first-run content. MLW postulates that WWE, through a single phone call in June 2021, forced a Vice to abandon those negotiations for first-run content months later. But MLW fails to plead that WWE even knew that MLW was negotiating to sell Vice broadcast rights for its first-run content. Moreover, MLW admits that Vice aired one episode of first-run MLW content months after the alleged WWE phone call, demonstrating that the conversation had zero influence over on Vice. Finally, MLW fails to plead that WWE was the proximate cause for Vice's decision to abandon negotiations rather than some other intervening facts, such as the first-run first episode of MLW drawing a disappointing number of viewers. Yes. So this is referring to MLW's allegation that uh, W Studios president at that time, Susan Levinson, called a vice executive, according to the MLW complaint, and told that vice executive, uh, I forget exactly what's alleged, that you have to kill the dealer or whatever, that, but that Vince, oh, this is the Vince McMahon was quote unquote pissed about it. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've been struggling to imagine what kind of evidence MLW will, will bring here. Are they going to bring this, you know, the, a, a vice executive to, to say something uh, on on the record about this? I don't know. But um, this is WWE saying, hey, look, you know, the, the, the vice show, uh, if, if this happened in June, you still had a show in October that was on the air, that, that one new piece of content, Fightland. Um, and WWE bringing up that the viewership was disappointing. The um, have you have you looked at this complaint, Gallo? Um, I have not. Uh, have I've... you seen what is an exhibit to this complaint, or have you heard what is an exhibit to this complaint? <laughs> well, I'm assuming they, they they pull up a ratings report of the forty thousand that was on uh, the MLW Fightline Wrestling Observer newsletter is an exhibit to this complaint, which basically means it's an attachment at the era, not this complaint, uh, the exhibit to this motion to dismiss. Um, it's the observer uh, citing the the viewership for Fightland and citing what happened in that same week, which was the head-to-head battle between Rampage and SmackDown for 30 minutes. Um, yes. So there's that. Uh what have I got? Going here? to the f- so else, elsewhere in this it. in this we get um, WB talking about how there's hey look there's ample competition in, in this uh, wrestling world. There's AEW which has had success. WB mentions that in the demo eighteen to forty nine, Dynamite and, and Raw are are pretty close according to MLW's own numbers. And they kind of undermine and question the credibility of the you know MLW doesn't say where they get the numbers from. I have a feeling I know where MLW got the numbers from, though, probably from my spreadsheet. Uh, but, but, um, and ultimately from Nielsen, and and no doubt W has plenty of access to Nielsen data to to uh, check that. Um, but W is saying that hey, look, there's all these other partners too that that they, they could uh, get deals with. We haven't interfered with any foreign or regional partners, and you can make deals with with Disney and Paramount, the former Viacom. Viacom's been rebranded to just Paramount now. Uh, Warner Media, Discovery, AMC, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, they mention others. NW has no major partnership with any of those companies to the extent that they do NBC Universal and Fox. Um, and this is, this is uh, in the context in which we get the great uh, bow tree 
in an open field comment. Um, the Ring of Honor purchase is also mentioned to say, hey, look, it's not like uh, other companies are even struggling to have output. AEW just introduced a second program. AEW just, uh, I guess it's not quite accurate, right? The, this, this says AEW also recently purchased another promotion, Ring of Honor, from Sinclair Broad, Broad, Broadcast Group to operate a secondary business. Uh, it seems Tony Khan has purchased another promotion. Um, not not AEW, but clearly those two things are going to be very aligned. Um, so that, that that's the extent of W's motion to dismiss uh, that we're gonna that we're gonna cite directly here. Uh, but PWI, excuse me, PW Insider, not PW, not Pro Wrestling Illustrated Insider, Pro Wrestling Insider, uh, got a comment from Court Bauer, who is the MLW CEO. Real quick before they comment, we didn't say the word for what the fourth point was. It was MOW fails to allegedly engage in unfair competition. Unfair competition claims that it must be tethered to some anti other antitrust violation or tort, and MLW has alleged none. But yeah, we'll go to Corp Hour's comments here. Uh, of course, WB is scrambling to dismiss. They don't want this thing to go to court. I look forward to that opportunity. So there's that. Uh and now, according to these court documents, uh, MLW will have until April 22nd, so about a month from now, uh, I would expect some sort of opposition to WWE's motion to dismiss, basically a, a response to this memorandum. Um, I've got to think there's, there's going to have to be some sort of evidence that MLW's going to have to bring in, these, um, in their next statement on this. Um, MLW, of course, is being represented by Mark E. Kaswitz, who has represented Trump and Bill O'Reilly. And then it was disclosed through these documents that W will have until May 16th. So about two months from now, they'll be able to, they'll have within that time frame uh, to file a reply in support of their motion to dismiss, to dismiss, to further support their claims. So there's those things. Sorry, we're having some issues uh, with the quality of the of the stream here. I'm, I've set low latency, and I'm afraid my internet is just not able to handle it. Um, but uh, hopefully, hopefully our audio is coming through okay. All right, so we will move on to the next. So we're actually going to discuss uh, ratings with demographics, um, as far as uh, you know, black viewers, Hispanic viewers, other race, and white viewers. Yes. So we we talked about this. Um, after uh, the Big Swole comments and Tony Khan's comments about Big Swole uh, on New Year's Eve, we talked about that uh, a couple days later. But this was, uh, we were referencing information that was from Q3 of 2021, July 1st to September 12th, uh, showing that you know, WWE has a larger by percentage black audience than AEW has for either of its programs. At that time, Rampage had only had, I believe, five, five episodes through this timeline, right? Because Rampage started in the middle of August. Um, since this time, AEW has moved from TNT to TBS. Uh, and so I got an update of this information and it looks quite similar. Um, I'm just, for people watching on YouTube, I'm just skipping back and forth between the two charts here. And it's not a dramatic difference. Um, so to be transparent, I got percentages, the share of the audience by race demographic uh, for black viewers, Hispanic viewers, other races, viewers, and white viewers. And I got these to pretty precise percentages. So what I did was I just calculated the P2 plus that we all know. We all know it, but it, it, that I know when I have 
a spreadsheet because we track ratings every day. Uh, I just took the viewership, the average viewership for these timelines, and I just sort of reverse engineered what the viewership was and to check how the viewership has actually changed by percentage. And what we get are these viewership numbers that we see on the screen here. Um, so, but the, so the main takeaway is, I believe, this. So now I have percentage deltas of the difference between what is most of Q3 2021 and what I got the update. I forgot to tell you what timeline we're looking at here. Q1 2022. So the quarter that we are currently in, this is January 1st through March 13th. And um, so what we have for the percentage difference in these audiences between those two time periods, I, I wish I had Q4 as well. But between Q3 of last year, Q1, most of Q1 of this year, which we're still in, uh, we have a difference. My main takeaway here is that the difference for Dynamite uh, for black viewers is down 22%, while the total audience, sort of the baseline difference, it's down 7%. It's not surprising. I mean, we've all been watching the ratings, or at least I've been watching the ratings every every week. And viewership from Q3, that period that include the, the debut of CM Punk, the debut of Brian Danielson, that was a really high period for AEW. They did some of their some of the biggest dynamite numbers ever in September. Um, and now in Q1 so far, viewership is down sequentially from that time period, down by 7% overall. Uh, and again, this is a period where they're on TBS. More on that in a second. But black viewership uh, is down 22%. Uh, Hispanic viewership for Dynamite is up 4%. Uh, and viewership among other races is down 14%. And white viewership is down 5%. So white viewership has held up better than the than the overall difference in the audience. Now Rampage, which now we have... We're looking at 10 episodes for each program here. And uh, for those listening in audio, we're looking at all all five of the major five wrestling shows... Dynamite, Rampage, Impact, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown. Um, and Rampage, now we're looking at 10 episodes of, rather than 5 episodes in the previous period. Um, Rampage is down by 32% overall. This includes, this, you know, that, that Q3 period includes the big CM Punk episode. And a lot of those early episodes that did especially well relative to where it has settled. Around uh, 500, around, you know... At, at the worst, in the in the high four hundred thousands, around six hundred thousand at the peak of its range at the moment, right? So, Rampage uh, is doing better with black viewers, only down eight percent when the overall audience is down thirty two percent. So, I don't know if that's meaningful. What I would guess, part of what's happening here, part part of what's happening here, I would imagine in the case of Dynamite, is that TBS is now getting a lead in from the biggest rerun show on all of TV, The Big Bang Theory. And I would, I don't have data. This is merely a hypothesis that The Big Bang Theory is probably serving into Dynamite a lot of, it clearly is serving into Dynamite a lot of older viewers, not dramatically changing the median age, but we do see a really high quarter hour one for Dynamite in total viewership, which is not as pronounced in the demo of 18 to 49. So I think it's, I think there's a lot of older white viewers who are watching Q1 that may be influencing the viewership and the demographic makeup of Dynamite. Now, 
to the extent that it's down 22% with black viewers, I don't, I don't think that that, that would all explain, uh, that big bang would explain all of that difference. Um, but rampage doing better with black viewers, dynamite, not so, not, not at all. Um, why is this a talking point? Uh, well, because as we mentioned, uh, there's the situation with big swole last time saying that there isn't enough African-American representation, Tony Khan, responding defensively to that on New Year's Eve. Um, it's, it's something that I brought up in the media conference call to, to Tony Khan, and he talked about all the changes that they're making. And they, are, they have, since this time, brought in Keith Lee and Swerve Scott. Swerve Strickland, excuse me, is his name now. Um, so, and Jade Cargill uh, has gotten a big push as a TBS champion. Uh, Scorpio Sky just won the TNT title. Exactly. Scorpio Sky just won the T- TNT title. Um, but it's not yet resulting in any sort of long-term change to the increase of black viewers. And again, why does this matter? Well, if we look at, again, we go back to that uh, breakdown by percentage, by race, W's got this over-indexing audience of, of black viewers by percentage, which you know is well above the, the population generally and is above the cable audience. So the cable audience is disproportionately white. Maybe there's economic factors involved in that. White home, you know, white people probably just tend to have more access to cable, I would guess. And that's what's accounting for this 60% of the prime time people using television uh, are, are white, whereas the universe, the population, is 61%. So 69% of the, of the audience is white. Uh, 61% of the population is white. Uh, 14% of the cable primetime audience are black viewers, uh, whereas SmackDown is 25% black viewers. NXT is 24% black viewers. Raw is 23% black viewers. Um, and it's, and it's even in the case of NXT, I think that's, that's interesting in that it's, you could say, well, Raw and SmackDown have been on, around forever, but, but even NXT is a newer program. Uh, a quarter of its viewership are black viewers. Um, Impact. 20% black viewers. And it, so it, it makes apparent to me that just the total possible wrestling audience to capture is probably disproportionate black wrestling fans. AEW has not gotten there yet. They're, as you can see on the screen here, 13% of their audience for Dynamite are black viewers. 17% of their audience for Rampage are black viewers. Um, Hispanic audience is more in line with WWE closer. Uh, 14% and 12% versus 14, 15, 15% for, for WB programs. Um, so we've, we've just discussed, you know, what's happening here. Why is that the case? Uh, I, I was on, I, I'm on an upcoming episode of the NWA podcast, uh, with Nate Milton and Dr. Chris Ely, uh, that was just recorded. So we have a conversation there that you can check out soon. Um, I wonder if there aren't economic factors involved in this and that AEW is sort of the, the full actualization of this online wrestling fan community and indie wrestling fan community that has evolved into this mainstream wrestling brand. And I think that sort of proto audience was disproportionate is disproportionately white um, for maybe for economic reasons in terms of access to the internet, in terms of access to travel. Um, if, I, I believe, without pulling it up, if you look at, say, the Reddit census, um, have we talked about the Reddit? We've talked about the Reddit census here before, right? Since you've been here? Yes. Yeah, we have it. The Reddit census respondents are like 90% white. So 
something about this online wrestling community, probably disproportionately white um, for some reason. So there's that. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, we will move on to a new Performance Center class uh, with uh, WWE NXT 2.0. Um, and surprisingly enough, more wrestling experience than you would expect. Um, so uh, I can go right into it here, uh, kind of the breakdown of all the the new uh, recruits in the Performance Center. We have Teresa Schusser, who, who debuted in NXT 2.0. Is Fallon Henley is a 24 year old Tampa, Florida native with five years' experience under her belt competing in the independent circuit under the name of Tesha Price. Kayla Inley has already begun to begin to make a name for herself in NXT 2.0 and NXT Level Up. A former collegiate dancer and cheerleader, Inley was trained by former WWE superstar Tyler Breeze at his training school at Flatbacks. Uh, six foot two, three hundred fifty pound Joseph Sculthorpe was an NCAA All Conference offensive lineman at NC State before signing with the Atlanta Falcons as an undrafted free agent. Originally from Hampton, North Carolina, Sculthorpe was a high school state heavyweight wrestling champion. We have eighteen year old Maddie Kinsley is a six time champion in vault, having trained in competitive gymnastics for eleven years. She also competed on the independent wrestling scene as Nikita Knight. Calix Hampton, 22-year-old former athlete from the University of Oregon, has competed on the school's acrobatics and tumbling team, earning an NCATA individual event national champion honors, national championship honors, sorry. Mitchell Lavely uh, has made a name for herself in the independent circuit under the moniker Mother Lover, Jake Tucker. Tucker, uh, by the likes of WWE Hall of Famer, or, or trained by the likes of WWE Hall of Famer, Kane, Natalia, Tyson Kidd, and Dr. Tom Pritchard, LaValle won the 2014 WWE Show Us Your Superstar Contest when he was 19, making a series of videos at WWE Performance Center before appearing on the SummerSlam pre-show panel. Bianca Corelli, the daughter of WWE Superstar Santino Morella, comes to Performance Center after earning her bachelor's degree in biology from Western University. Corelli was also, has also extensive training MMA fighting and a focus in judo, jiu-jitsu, and boxing. She was also working as an independent wrestler as well. Uh, in Canada, that's not listed oh, was here. But okay, I, I, I didn't. I was wondering if she had wrestled, and she had. Yes. Okay. She was. Yeah. Um, Cole McKinney from Charleston, West Virginia, has been honor owning his craft for over a year, and all if I have already. Sorry, after foregoing wrestling officers from multiple D one universities to pursue his passion for professional wrestling, going by the name of Cole Carter on the independents, most most notably from IWC. Um, 23-year-old David Boston of Wilmington, North Carolina, has been a folk-style wrestler for 16 years while simultaneously training as a power lifter. Uh, four, Gabe Y heads to Florida from Corvallis, Oregon, following his tenure as a D1 rugby player at Lindenwood University. The 260-pound Army reservist was projected to be drafted into the Professional Rugby League. 
Carla Gonzalez from Pasadena, Texas, is better known as Roxy after graduating from Booker T's Reality Wrestling School, the youngest Reality Wrestling Diamonds champion. Also, she was Ring of Honor Women's champion. They don't list it on there. Uh, Nadami no, Tony Khan owns uh, that. Of Beltsville, Maryland, stands at six foot three and weighs two hundred forty-five pounds after playing four years on a defensive line at Washington State University. Edwin Grande was a standout offensive lineman from the University of Idaho and Monterey Peninsula College. The Oakland, California native has played for the Houston Blues football team during the 2020 Spring League. And lastly, Amelia Herr is an 18-year-old criminal justice major out of Westchester, Pennsylvania, with two years of Taekwondo training under her belt. She also competed on the Independence as the notorious Mimi. Yes. So a, a mix, a lot of independent wrestling experience, some straight from uh, the pros or college sports athletes, second generation star, at least in there. But like I said, she did wrestle a little bit up in Canada. Mm-hmm. I'm always um, interested in, in the choice of words here. Uh, did, did you know, Chris, Gull, that you are a ring announcer on the independent circuit? Do you, do you ever refer to yourself that way? You, do you, you're getting in the car to go work the independent circuit? It sounds so like 1990s video game. Like you work your way up. You start on the independent circuit, and then you yes. like that's what it sounds like. Yeah, no, uh, I, I, I guess it's a nice buzzword for it instead of calling it just independent wrestling promotions, since there's various different types. Believe me. Yes, they did alternate one time the independent wrestling scene. It's a scene, sure. Um, so we've got how how many people are included in this? I mean, obviously, this included some people who are already on NXT including Fallon Henley yes. uh, and Kayla Inlay. Uh, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, it's 10, like 11, 12, 13, 14. Yep. 14 wrestlers. And how many of them? One, two, three, four. If we count Bianca Corelli, five, six, seven, eight, eight, eight out of 14. That's more than half uh, with independent wrestling experience. So not as, you know, we had kind of speculated uh, or maybe I had just speculated, you know, early in the NL NIL program being rolled out that they're not going to do any indie wrestlers anymore. I mean, cl- clearly they are. They've got half of this class are wrestlers with wrestling experience. Now it's nobody. I mean, these these weren't recognizable names to well, other than Roxy, right? Is who's by far the most recognizable name on here? I think everyone would agree. Uh, are you familiar with any other names? I mean, I guess um, other than you know, Santino's daughter, Bianca Corelli. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with uh, Cole Carr. Um, I have some friends that like worked for IWC and uh, mm-hmm. him being down there wor- working with a couple of his worked matches against some of my friends. So I, I'm familiar with Cole Carr. Um, I'm familiar with Notorious Mimi uh, uh, on the Northeast. Um, she was actually supposed to recently do an Empire State Wrestling show, but had a scheduling conflict. Um. So familiar with her. I, I know the name of Tesha Price from AEW Dark. Okay. She's on there quite a bit, I believe. Yes. Uh, at, at least in two years. We don't have a match breakdown for how many matches she had in AEW Dark. But yeah. Um, Fallon Henley, also known as Tesha Price, was on AEW Dark. Um, Kayla Inlay, who is formerly known as Christina. Is that how you say that with the X? I, I, I guess so. Christina uh, K. Christina K. Uh, was also on Dark at least once. Uh, Cole Carter was on Dark. Uh, Roxy has not appeared for AEW, uh, but Amelia Hare, Notorious Mimi, has. Um, yeah, we, I, I pulled their cage match uh, profiles 
to see how much experience uh, did each of these wrestlers have before they came to WB. Um, and uh, it's it's not a ton. I mean, even is this uh, Kayla Inlay, who they say is is eighteen years old, right? Is that is that the no Amelia Air, so notorious Mimi, is an eighteen year old criminal justice major, mm-hmm. is what what she's referenced as, and she has been wrestling since two thousand nineteen, which means that she'd been wrestling since like age sixteen. 15? Yeah. And most of that's New Jersey, so that makes sense. Okay. Like, looking at the where, where, where that's legal? Uh, uh, in Jersey, yeah. And I believe she's a Monster Factory graduate. Okay. So. Uh, and Nikita Knight, real name Maddie Neasley, Kinsley, uh, that is this person here, 18 years old, is what she's referenced as here. Uh, wrestling since 2015. One, two, three, four, five. She's got no matches in her cage match record after 2019, which doesn't mean she hasn't wrestled, but not in anything the cage match has caught. Um, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years ago, she's been wrestling since she's 12. She, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to like pull up the cage match like, specifically because so anyway. I can't really see like where those are based out of. So there's that. So so nobody with like this huge indie buzz name, but uh, but but definitely people with with uh, any wrestling experience. I would say Roxy was was had a pretty big buzz, mm-hmm. but other than that, uh, I mean, you know, uh, appeared in Ring of Honor, MLW, and Impact within sure. the last year. True. So true. Yeah. And is she still no? Deanna Prats was the the Ring of Honor champion. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah. All right, so um, we'll uh, move on to but a similar thing here. Um, the yes. influencer, I think, I don't know how they're pronouncing this hashtag influencer app or just the no I vowels here app. except for the first letter. I, I didn't even realize this actually that 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 that's, that's a conceivable pronunciation of of this all caps brand. Um, I, I really left this up to you. I I, I messaged you earlier this yeah. week, Gullo, maybe yesterday for all I remember, and told you, can you can you learn something about this? Because I have no idea what's happening here. We do get a quote in this press release, though, from Paul Avec, who is apparently working. He is he's working on that. He's provided a quote, ostensibly. So, yeah, um, I will I will get into this uh, press release and I'll kind of tell you what I found. Uh, so there um, be today announced a multi-year partnership with INFLCR, a Teamworks product, an industry-leading brand-building content, and name it, image, and likeness business management platform for college athletes to increase the scope and scale of WB's NLIL program called Next in Line. We are excited about the opportunities that this partnership with INFLCR will create as we continue to expand our Next Line program and identify student-athletes with an interest of becoming WB superstars. Through the partnership, WB will leverage INFLCR's technology and alliances with more than 200 NCAA Division I colleges and universities to reach thousands of INFLCR student-athletes looking to monetize their name, image, and likeness. Together, WB and INFLCR will innovate how student-athletes engage the WB brand while maintaining their NCAA eligibility. INFLCR so, re- influencer. Yeah, did some research on this here. Okay. And uh, so they started as just a social media um, app in the aspect of and you you could like colleges could post like or athletes could post like in-game photos and stuff like that and it would hit every single one of their social media websites as far as twitter instagram facebook whatever it might be and then once the 
they allow name, image, and likeness in, in NCAA, what they did for this was now colleges sign up for it. So like if I'm a business, right, and there's multiple different things, there's multiple different products on this. There's one just for the colleges, one just for the athletes, one for businesses. But if I'm a business and I want athletes, let's, let's just say to do a radio commercial, I can go by university and see every athlete eligible to do that. And the colleges are like encouraging the students to do this and they're kind of streamlining and controlling the process. So what I'm assuming WWE will be is one of these businesses that can connect directly with these athletes. They could look at all these athletes. They could look at their social media presence. They could see how many Instagram followers, Twitter followers, TikTok, all that. They can see all that. They could see any accomplishments in college and all that. The athletes themselves, they can share their accomplishments. They can share their college accomplishments. It's really, it's like, it's a marketing platform for these athletes with a control in the aspect of the colleges can kind of steer them into a direction like, oh yeah, this sounds like a reputable thing as well as this app. It doesn't seem like I can't just start my car dealership. Can't just join this. I have to apply to get a demo and get approved and all that. I see. You have a car dealership. Like, no, no. I'm just, just for example, I own the car dealership. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, and, and it helps athletes get stuff like cameos. Come on down to that. Chris Gullo Toyota. Oh no, Kia. Yeah. You would be. Oh no, no Toyota. Kia, Kia, Kia. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it what it seems to be is is that like, uh, you know, they can they can get cameos from this and other things that are approved businesses too. So it's it's a like I said, it's a one stop shop. It seems to be for athletes to monetize their name and kind of put their credentials out there. But it also like WWE can look at this and go, ah, this guy's got an impressive look, but he has you know two hundred Instagram followers. <laughs> So what should we be expecting WWE to get out of this? It Like a, a recruiting database? That's what I'm assuming. Because they never clear – looking at it, I mean, colleges sign up for it and they list their athletes. But WWE wouldn't do that unless they're going to market these college athletes out to other businesses. So I would assume they're doing it to, you know, be able to connect with these athletes. I mean, because you can, there's over like, I think 7,000 athletes listed or something like that. Um, or so, some, I, it, I had their website up, I've still had it up here, and they, they, they tout all their accomplishments. But, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, like, so for example, if I just, like, if I wanted to just look at Southern Mississippi University, it will show me every athlete listed that's with that program on this app here. And they have like all a lot of the major D1 colleges, which is seems to be what WWE's looking for. We've seen some smaller colleges, but mostly they're pulling these athletes out of you know top tier colleges. Mm-hmm. So just it's not loading for me, but it was it was listing a bunch of stats as far as how many athletes, how many colleges, and all that. Right. Earlier. Okay. And any other uh, developmental thoughts, information you want to share? Uh. Uh. Nothing right now. I mean, uh, I, I do, I do hear that they're expanding into this name image enlightenment thing as far as specializing in these college athletes. Mm-hmm. So, okay, alrighty. Crypto investor Chris Gallo, uh, are, are you into the NFT market? Um, I, you know, I still don't fully understand its longevity, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this CoinDesk. 
Yes. The small but blossoming uh, non-fungible television space got a bit bigger on Monday with the announcement of The Gimmicks, an animated wrestling show backed by actress Mila Kunis's Six Wall production company. The adult series, self-described as South Park meets WWE, follows a group of mashed-up wrestlers longing for former glory with characters voiced by World Wrestling Entertainment stars Luke Doc Gallows, Carl Machine Gun Anderson, and Rocky Romero, according to a press release. Mm-hmm. The non-fungible token component comes in the form of a choose-your-own-adventure mode for owners of the show's NFTs, allowing holders to vote on the direction of the show's plot at the end of each episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Rock Romero's W run. I think he did a lot of good things at that time and a lot of a lot of memorable moments and smiles that are put on on faces and, and so forth. Um, did he ever wrestle? Was he ever signed to W? Was there like a developmental period for him or something? Not that I know of. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, He's Enzo literally appeared though. everywhere but WWE. Literally every single promotion. <laughs> I know there was that period where, where AJ Styles uh, and... and Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows went over that. that I know that was reported that that was uh, being discussed, but, uh, but anyway, uh, Enzo got some work. This is probably the highest profile thing that Enzo Amoria has done. I mean, outside of, I know he's done, done some MLW, right. And he's done, he did that yeah. ring of honor thing for a minute. Um, so there's that. I mean, uh, it's, a. Uh, you go to their website and they list the reasons why uh, you should buy the NFT. What do the NFT pe- NFT owners get um, besides just a, f- a file that that is yep. marked as their theirs to own? Um, they they get early access to to the episodes. So this is not, this is going to be like an online series. I gather this doesn't have like a, a traditional TV home, but you get early access to the episodes, co creation. Uh, get some sort of influence over what happens in the episodes, the ability to write backstory for your character and have it added to a wiki, uh, access to monthly writer's rooms, perks for participation in voting and story creation, ongoing voice and art contests, exclusive merchandise, and one holder will be chosen and compensated as an associate producer. So this is what you're seeing with... um a lot of NFT products is trying to make it something more than just a file that you own, but it includes you into a community and you get all of these special benefits and perks. Um, so we'll see uh, how this goes. A cross between South Park and WWE sound, sounds ideal for 1999, but we'll see how it goes. Um, all right. Uh, so uh we do have a super chat. Oh, and then I have a point that I wanted to bring up. But we'll have a super chat here. Um, if Warner, and this is from CWGJ128, thank you for your super chat. If Warner Brothers Discovery uh, decides, due to new management, not to renew it, who realistically is willing to pay $45 million a year for that product? Thank you in advance. Well, that's a good question. So I think, I think it's like bidding on a house, right? If you have more than one bidder for your content, which is not clear to me, even if, even if, you know, Warner media slash discovery is still interested in, you know, we're strongly interested in having AEW uh, on their network in the future is AEW. I, I'm, it's not clear to me whether AEW is really going to pursue other partners. And it's not clear to me that Warner media doesn't own a stake in AEW, which may be why ring of honor is better to be owned by Tony Khan rather than AEW LLC. Um, but I think um, even even if 
Warner Media wasn't interested in wrestling, which I, th- which I think was unlikely, but let, let's say it, it happens. Um, I think there there's still Viacom out there. There's reports that AEW was talking to Showtime before the Turner deal was made. Um, we're the further we go into into this this timeline, the more valuable live sports and sports like rights become. And that's what AEW's got. Um, and unlike in 2019 when they were trying to find a deal, they've now proven that they can, you know, Dynamite at least can rank highly in 1849. Um, I think they would find some home, but if they don't have multiple bidders interested or their incumbent bidder interested, that would greatly decrease their ability to increase their TV rights fees. Um, balance that against what should they be valued as? You know, I've, I've been speculating 3X, 4X, right? Um, but it's more if there's multiple people interested and it's less if there's only one bidder interested. Obviously, it's worth nothing if nobody's interested, of course. But yes. All right. Um, and I wanted to bring up a talking point here because within the last 10 days, we've not had one, but two wrestling-themed virtual restaurants mm-hmm. launched. Um, I'll start with the first one uh, that was announced. Uh, Pro Wrestling Tees announced, I think, back on March 10th, that they're that they're going to launch Powerbomb Pizza, which is a delivery-owned concept that brings wrestling-themed pizza directly to your home using Uber Eats or Postmates. You can order food from your our local pizzeria partners across the country. Uh, and that we have officially launched in Huntington Beach, California, Las Vegas, Nevada. Each item is directly connected to a wrestling legend, and that specific wrestler or their family's profit from each item sold. And that was directly from Pro Wrestling Tees. Uh, regarding that and we'll we'll just talk about the other announcement here um wb launches limited time smackadillas virtual restaurant in dallas fort worth uh and this from press release here uh on the observer has it listed there'll be an next bite have teamed together to launch wb smackadillas exclusively in the dallas fort worth area Food from the delivery-only restaurant brand can be ordered on DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub. WB Smackadillas are loaded with signature ingredients and unexpected flavor combos guaranteed to smack down hunger. The menu consists of five main quesadilla options along with sides, desserts, and drinks. And just uh, these quesadillas are called the Spicy Superstar, the Cheesy Chicken Champion, the Onion Rumble, the Chicken vs. Ranch, and the Power Bomb Pizza, which I found hilarious. Is this available um, immediately? Um, I believe, see, or only at it, on, since Dallas, it's only that's WrestleMania, weekend, right? Yes. Only yeah. WrestleMania weekend. Um, we'll, we'll, you'll be in Dallas, uh, working the yeah. independent circuit down in Dallas, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, are you, are you going to, uh, go on a mission, uh, a WrestleNomics experience mission and, and test this out? And will you review the WWE Smackadilla? Dia, Dia. Um, looking quickly at the, the menu, Sound like it didn't look like anything vegan, so... <laughs> What's that? Is, is, is there a vegan option? I, it didn't look like it. I, I looked quickly at that menu. It did not. Oh, well, they're excluding you. So, um, but this, you know, we talk about all these things on this show, extra avenues to make money. This is interesting. And this is something that's happening. So I was talking to you off air. This is something that's already currently happening with other social media presence. Uh, Mr. Beast, who's really known on social media, he uh, has Mr. Beast Burger. So what they what these things do is is they rent kitchen space in restaurants in cities. 
Um, and you order on DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever, and then they have a menu, and I believe they just have an employee or two making it in that restaurant, just running that part of the kitchen space, and then you know, delivery and, person. And gets why it and all that. do like, I, as a, as a as a customer, prefer that over just ordering directly from that restaurant? I think it's just gimmicky. So I'll tell you this. So there's two current chain restaurants that have these virtual restaurants within their restaurants that they are partners with. So mm-hmm. little, so Chuck E. Cheese that has Pasquale's pizza, which looks like a local traditional pizzeria, but it's, it's Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> and What's uh, Pasquale's pizza. It's just it's Chuck E. Cheese pizza with a different name. It's just it's not, it not, is. it doesn't have the kitty branding. That's like, I don't want to order from Chuck E. Cheese. Let's, let's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I believe it's Applebee's Applebee's or Chili's. I think it's Applebee's one of them. And they have called neighborhood wings and they own their own virtual restaurant within their restaurants. You order just, you think, Oh, I'm ordering from this, this local wing joint. And, <laughs> and there's been some, I think there's been some couple. I, this was something that started in the pandemic. That sounds and, familiar. Uh, yeah. And here we are, uh, Powerbomb Pizza and Smackadillas. And, I mean, this could be something that I think all wrestling brands should probably, like, maybe something AEW does. Um, Memorial Day weekend in Vegas. Lots of kitchen spaces there that you could rent for your double or nothing, uh, you know, nachos. (laughs) Double or nothing, double cheese pizza. Um, And again, this is basically just branding and product packaging. Yes, pretty much. Like, because, like I said, the Mr. Beast Burger. I mean, I believe this che- they're just cheeseburgers with like crazy ingredients. But I mean, you can't physically go to these locations. Like, I can't just uh, go order pickup. They're all delivery. Right. Wow. Is there a is there a WrestleMonics opportunity for us to exploit here? Can we have uh, what what what? We got WrestleMonics coffee, maybe. Um, can we get within like a? Uh, does Office Max still exist or Office Depot? Maybe within the office supply stores, we can get, um, you know, the WrestleNomics pens and notepads, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Just rent out part of their warehouse, the backroom warehouse. Yeah. Um, Chicken Pom Pom said it referred to as dark kitchens. Yeah, they call them like dark kitchens or ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens is another term, like, just because they're not like restaurants you could physically go to. Barstool has one at, at uh, MJ uh, is brought up. Um, yeah, there it's, 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 it's interesting. Like there's actually, you know, you're, you're vegan as I am, Brandon, the other mm-hmm. last weekend, uh, plant-based, plant-based. plant-based yeah. last weekend, I was like, Oh, I just went on DoorDash and typed in vegan and this pizzeria joint showed up. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, it's called like oven baked vegan pizza. Like, what is this place? There's no physical location for it, <laughs> but, but it physically comes from somewhere. Yes. Where does it come Do from? Do we know? I don't know whose kitchen they're you renting. Don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could ask the DoorDash person because that's how. Yeah. The like it's, it's, it has Chuck to be delivered thing. to you. You're not gonna even going to pick it up. You have to get delivery. Is that correct? The, the, yeah, it has to be delivery on these apps. The Pasquale's Chuck E. Cheese thing was exposed because somebody wrote on Reddit that they got their pizza and they're like, this tastes like Chuck E. Cheese. And they texted <laughs> the DoorDash driver. And they said, was this Chuck E. Cheese? Like, yeah, I picked it up from there. (laughs) Exposed. So, yeah, that's all. I I figured this was an interesting, fun WrestleNomics topic to bring up. Yes. To wind this down here. Uh, Anything else here before we sign off? 
Uh, nothing really else. Uh, you know, uh, I can't think of stuff coming up Mania weekend. It's been announced like special different things or anything like that. So, yeah. Uh, again, so- sorry for the lagging issues of the frames being dropped. I, I can't fix the latency and you know, in the middle of the stream There's that that option is grayed out but but next time the the video stream will be better i think the audio has been fine um hit the thumbs up like share subscribe that helps people find wrestleomics uh thanks as always to our partners our media distribution partners post wrestling uh we don't control the entire podcast market anyway um patreon.com slash wrestleomics you can get the tv ratings reports there have been quarter hours lately for AEW, as, as usual, but I know you've been reading them uh, voraciously. Is that a word? I know you've been reading them every every day, the minute that they come out. The quarter hour reports for WWE programming, Raw SmackDown NXT. Those are out there uh, last couple weeks. Maybe it'll continue uh, on patreon.com slash Live TV ratings talk every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. And... Uh, there's a great merchandise at store.postwrestling.com. Uh, some developments in the WrestleNomics ratings prediction game may be coming soon. Look for that. And uh, here's a picture of Chris Gullo yelling at a crowd. Yes, and next week we will release part two. Uh, so about Wednesday, right before WrestleMania week starts, uh, we're going to release part two of the Burt Prentice episode for rediscovering Indy. So look for that next Wednesday. Um, and then speaking of WrestleMania weekend, if you're going to be in Dallas, Fort Worth, I'm going to be bringing announcing three shows and doing stand-up comedy on one. So, uh, plenty of opportunities to, uh, come see me, say hi. I'll also be at WrestleCon at various times. Uh, Are you going to do stand-up comedy at a wrestling show? No, so it's 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 at a bar on Thursday night with other wrestlers that do stand up comedy. Oh wow, who else? Who else is doing stand up comedy? Uh, they're like Illinois based wrestlers, like Bucky Collins and Zeke, uh, and then I believe they're adding some others. And there's some like Dallas comedians too. So okay, yes, we should. We should I should just send you along with some WrestleMics merchandise to sell or something. <laughs> Well, I will. Uh, I will definitely at least be at WrestleCon for a brief period of time. Uh, my close confidant, Jonathan Ash, will be producing shows there with GoPro for at WrestleCon. So I'll be I'll be wandering the WrestleCon halls at certain times. So maybe we'll get some extra media stuff there. Yes, I've uh, in the uh, the programming development uh, department of WrestleMania headquarters this week. We've been making some progress on metadata tagging of quarter hour labels and YouTube video titles so that we can uniquely identify the wrestlers who are named in those quarter hour descriptions, which are written by me and the video titles, which are published by the, the respective YouTube channels. Um, so that we may, we're getting closer to some further developments perhaps in, in talent analytics could, could be revolutionary, could be nothing. More to come. Uh, that's all. Thanks for listening and tuning in. Thanks, thanks everybody for for uh, being nice in the chat. I, I did have some disruptors on Thursday, or at least one disruptor. <laughs> I might have to hire you to be a, a moderator during that time. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again. I'll, I'll be here on Thursday, and we're here every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>